We've just got one little announcement before we start. Recently, we've disabled all the sponsorship on our podcasts. Instead, we're just asking one thing from you. We're asking that you just share this podcast with someone who you feel may be interested. Share it via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram or Spotify or whichever way works best for you. But please, share this podcast with one other person and you will be helping us massively. This week's guest is Alex Lawrence. Alex is the global bar director for the Mr. Lion Group and also the founder of Porter's Gin and Glasshouse Whiskey. Enjoy our conversation. Hi Alex. Hi Alex, how are you? Hi, good thanks mate, how are you? Yeah, not, do, not too bad mate, not too bad. Um, seems, like, uh, seems like we've kind of got a nice little rainy day as well after kind of the nice weather we've had today as well. Yeah, this is good old-fashioned Scottish weather, man. I'm I'm quite at home in this. So. Yeah, yeah. Are you are you um you're down in London still? Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, London London is home at the moment. Um, which is fine, man. I I feel like I've not actually been home for about a year, so this is actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. How um how are you finding things in kind of lockdown situation? Are you kind of are you kind of used to it now, or have you are you kind of enjoying the enjoying the rest? so to speak uh well weirdly i don't think i've ever been busier man like there's there's these kind of like this moment of pause like you you have all these projects that you said you were going to start and you're gonna oh i need to do this i need to do that and you always put it off because like everything's always so hectic when the whole world is open and then when suddenly everything's shut like there's zero excuse yeah so my to-do list is like it's getting bigger and bigger but (laughs) Uh, yeah, well, hopefully it's a good thing eh? yeah I, well i appreciate you taking time out of your day to to have a chat with me as well um i think it's kind of i only realized it was um quite fitting that i was speaking to you on the uh stop food waste day as well yeah and, yeah like, <laughs> i think it was uh un, unplanned but um yeah so so how how have things been with with your with the venues is that i guess that was kind of a um definitely ma- managing a lot of kind of different projects there because obviously in different countries and shutting down at different times. I bet that was quite a chaotic kind of period of time for you guys. Yeah, I guess, I mean, like, there's there's kind of, like, two parts, right? There's the operational part, which is obviously a complete standstill, and that's been, that's kind of knocked onto the other half, which is, like, the emotional toll. You know, like, the human toll to everything is something that has been the most difficult. Operationally, like, we're... You know, we're shut down, we're regrouping, we're we're making like very difficult decisions and we're trying to we're trying to make sure that we're opening like better, safer, uh, and trying to make sure that everything can exist in, in what will be the new world, because there is no new normal. Yeah. And then I guess on the flip side it's about like our company, although large, like it's it's still young enough to be like very human. So managing like like our own emotional element and how we're dealing with it all and then like making sure that the teams feel supported. It's like, that's been a huge part of my time as well is trying to make sure that like everyone that needs the support and guidance and what is the weirdest time ever like, yeah. has it. So um, uh, it's been challenging, mate. It really has. But we also like the hospital, like hospitality industry is like hard as fuck. To yeah. excuse my French, so like, <laughs> we will like persevere, and there's going to be some casualties, of course, because of just the way that the economy is. But I like I truly believe like we're going to come out of this like kind of grounded and probably stronger than we were before. Yeah, um, one hundred percent. I I agree. I agree totally, especially with the whole hospitality community. If there's a community that can pull together and look out uh, that looks out for each other on a day to day basis, anyway. If if there's any a community that is going to pull together to get kind of come out the other side of this and work together and work kind of uh, see it as a positive, then it is definitely going to be the kind of hospitality yeah. com- community and industry. Um, so, it, like you were just saying, obviously I know a key part of your venues and, and what you do is is your staff and is your kind of 
uh, I guess you kind of you they buy into what you do and what you want what you do is wouldn't be as successful I, I would say if it wasn't for for those guys and I, like you're saying that's been a, a hard kind of process to to manage them and manage kind yeah. of looking after them because I think after after all this has um, passed and like you say we do go back to some normality making sure you have those key people still there is probably yeah. probably difficult yeah, I mean, it's like the, I guess there's a couple of buckets, right? You've got like the, the economic impact of like what is business going to be like. That's that's the harsh reality of like just how the world works. Um, but then making sure that like people are still engaged with with our kind of vision has got to be so important because mm-hmm. e- everything has to change. Like it's it's not as simple as we just have a, a reopening plan with some safety. Like the entire mentality of our guests is going to change, and so so is our staff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'll, I'll always be the first person to say that your most important guests that you could possibly have in your venue are your team. Like you mm-hmm. need to look after them the most. So making sure that they feel safe, they feel comfortable like with, and you know, that all the anxiety that this situation has generated is alleviated and that they feel safe going to work. Like that's the, you know, the first priority. Yeah. And then from there, it's like that knock on effect to that same emotion onto the guests. And, like the details like required to do that are, are mind blowing. Like, yeah. Some of the things you have to consider like have been wild. Things I never thought I'd ever have to think about in my career ever. And you know, <laughs> as sim- simple as like, you know, when you clean a table, right? You normally like are always like very subtle about it. You don't really want a guest to see that you're using like a big fucking cleaning product. Yeah. Now I'm like, you turn, I'm like, no, show them, show them the bleach for all I care. Yeah. yeah. I like, make sure that like they feel safe and comfortable. And it's these little like indicators of psychology that have been like the true like core of like trying to decide what to do next. Um, and then aligning that with making sure everyone feels like a sense of ease and comfort. So anything that was previously, we're trying to like flex is like really complicated or mental. Mm-hmm. Like people are not going to have the mental capacity to deal with that. You know, like how do you soften and make sure that everyone feels comfortable and they understand things like that's, that's so important. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, like you were saying, I, I think it's uh, not just reassuring guests. I think it's like you say, reassuring your staff that what that being it because it is a it, being behind a bar is is a is a kind of closed space and and you may think you you trust kind of the people that you're working with and i'm sure we all trust the people that we're working with but trust is out of the is, is kind yeah. of out of the picture when it comes to something like this i thought yeah it's not relevant to a virus is it? Yeah, but, yeah yeah um yeah it, i mean for me it's like conquering my own anxiety about the own situation and then kind of filtering that down. Like that's got to be like the, the stages that we do to, yeah. to come out better. How, right. Yeah. How, how do you think, how do you think that kind of service looks then when it, when it kind of resumes, do you think it's more of a, do you think you're going to get less kind of crowded? And I, I know you, you so your bars kind of um, sometimes tailored towards more like your table service, especially at Lioness and formerly obviously Dandelion. And do you think it's more along those lines where you kind of people have have set kind of seats and they get more table, like not table service, but kind of people coming over to them and, and bringing drinks to them rather than being kind of crowded around a bar? Or how do you think that kind of looks in terms of service? Well, I mean, it's all speculation, right? Because I mean, the thing is like nothing can be said for certain because the government could turn around like next week and have their own set of mandates. But yeah. Like from what we've kind of seen, I I guess like it's controlled environments that will be allowed to like gradually open first. And like, this is a UK specific thing. Yeah. I mean, in Amsterdam, it'll be different. In the States with Silverline, it's going to be different. Um, What we probably will do is have like a global kind of standard on the safety measures, which I imagine will be based off whatever market's doing the most extreme versions. But like, ultimately, if you have freestanding, okay, like a pub or anything like that, like, that's going to be much less logical to open because it's impossible to control. Whilst, as you say, like Lioness is very much leans more into a seated venue where we can, you know, completely rearrange the floor plan to have social distancing and we can mm-hmm. control the flow. Like those kind of like stages will, will have to happen. Social distancing is going to ask for a long, last for a long time. Yeah. And we're case studying places like Hong Kong and Wuhan and like looking at, what's going on there. And even with these safety measures, you look at Wuhan's food and beverage <laughs> industry and it's, it's desolate. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's, I, that's just an indicator of what's possible to come for us. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think I was, saying, uh, I was saying to a friend the other day, I think it's, it's not um, 
It's not a matter of everyone's going to go back out and go run straight to a bar because a a the the kind of the the safety aspect, but also I think people's habits may have changed in this kind of in this lockdown as well. Obviously, people yeah. have been inside and they may have kind of their saving habits may have changed, whereas they would have gone out and maybe spent kind of money on going to going to like a nice bar for like or yeah. going, going to going to like club for like a, like a, a meal. And people's kind of spending habits will have changed, and I think that's going to impact massively. Yeah, um, there's there's going to be a huge like need for value. Do you know what I mean? Like, so uh, we we're all probably realizing that you can save like considerable amounts of money and still like kind of enjoy yourself. Like the way that we interact with each other, like we're all on these video calls at the moment, realizing yeah, yeah. we can stay in touch in a different different way. It'll be interesting to see. It, it depends how safe people f- feel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. Like the huge one for me is like people's like consumption habits and expectation for how they can receive things. Like that's going to change massively. Like you can't get like a bar quality cocktail delivered one day and just because we open up that that service disappears. Yeah. yeah. So like there's all these like kind of habits and services that have been created by this situation, and like they're they're going to evolve. Like e-commerce is going to go through the roof. Drinking mm-hmm. at home will go through the roof. Like. Um, I think it has. I think well, I, I kind of bartenders we kind of tend to drink a lot more at home anyway. But I think I think people uh, outside of outside of kind of our world, um, maybe uh, I reckon of their their drinking from home has probably gone gone through the roof as well. Like you were just saying. Yeah, I've definitely tucked into the wine rack a few times, man. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, well, maybe just to go into a bit more of a kind of. Uh, a positive which I, th- I think last year definitely was for you guys as a group obviously I think it was a very hectic year which I'm sure you're you well you you know firsthand you obviously had yeah. the, the, the reopening of um, well the kind of changing from Dandelion to Lioness and then um, Super Lion and then uh, Silver Lion as well and, and obviously yeah. um, all your other side projects as well how how do you kind of feel that that how did you kind of balance that year because I think it was Maybe was it like two months on the bounce? You had two different kind of openings, or three three months on the bounce. You had three openings. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I think we did. We opened. I can't remember. I know we did <laughs> lioness in ten days for like transitionary, so that was done. Yeah. Then like in April, which was maybe a month or two after, we did super, and then we did silver at the start of this year, but it was still within that twelve month window. Yeah, I mean, like my number one advice for the whole thing is don't don't fucking do that. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, and then I guess like with the other projects, you know, with, with the, the spirits and stuff and combined with that, like it was, it was all very hectic, but it felt like there was a lot of like crossover with, with like kind of direction and skill set and culture. So it, it, it probably wasn't the healthiest year of my life, um, in terms yeah. of balance, but I, uh, I, I certainly wouldn't necessarily like recommend doing that again, but unfortunately we have to reopen all these venues. So yeah, at yeah. least I feel, feel prepared for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what I've always admired about, I think uh, kind of all of, all of your venues and something I kind of wanted to dig in is the kind of um, the branding and the quality and the kind of link that all of the venues have to one another. I think mm-hmm. that uh, as like a fan of kind of good branding and, I think that's key in in a modern world. I think I think all of your venues have this kind of underlying brand that they all tie into, and they obviously all tie into kind of the sustainability and the kind of forward thinking um, kind of stuff that you employ and and the way you go about things. But for me, how how do you guys kind? Of, it, obviously, you make a conscious effort about it. But when you're reopening venues or looking to hire staff, is that something that's obviously on your mind? Well, like the the link is obviously is is culture, and the culture has always been about making sure that everything felt considered. You know, um, so whether that's like the branding, the you know, we're lucky to collaborate with amazing designers, and like I I just think we just try and question every single tiny detail. That was what like the company was born out of. So you know, White Lion wasn't actually. I think it was often described as a bar that was anti or it was a bar that was like saying fuck you to the industry and it completely wasn't it was just saying hey you said this is the only way to do things so we're going to like challenge every one of those and try and do it a different way and that's kind of like that's always continued like dandelion was about challenging like what a hotel bar could be as well as like having a very solid kind of base 
Um, Silverline is looking at cultural exchange. Superline is like elevating like the familiar that feels comfortable into something like a bit more fun and special. Cobb obviously looks at sustainability like pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of challenge parks like interest from like wonderful minds. And I think we hire people that just tend to have a personality that has like that kind of fire in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, t- technical skills are teachable, but like, you know, having a belief in something which we're so lucky. I mean, I cannot tell you how like privileged I feel to be able to work with with people that really do like have far more creative minds than I ever will, you know. So um, I'm I'm just lucky I was like kind of there at the start and can like help like guide everyone to their brilliance because ultimately our, our staff should never see us as an end goal but as a platform, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I want them to be able to go and achieve everything they want to achieve and use us as either a jumping point or as the vessel to be able to achieve those things. I think that's like kind of the main culture that we really always want to put across. I mean. As like that, we're we're still kind of rooted in this East London basement bar mentality. Um, so we definitely like d- drop the ball operationally from time to time. But from a cultural perspective, I really think that's why we can kind of draw everyone in. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's what sits kind of from a outside perspective. Obviously, that has visited the venue, like visited Dandelion, and, and have been lucky enough to come down to Lioness as well. Um, mm. I think that that sat heavily for me from an outside perspective of seeing the other venues, obviously um, in the States and in Amsterdam and Cub as well. Um, that, that kind of, that could, I think you, you really, um, I, I, that comes across on your, I would say on your social media as well. I think even just promoting your, your staff and promoting your, your bartenders and promoting your servers and promoting your chefs. And I think that really comes across very heavily on, on your social media and that backs up exactly what you were saying. Yeah, well, I mean, bars, bars and restaurants are the community center of, like, the modern world, right? And, like, communities are formed by people. So we can put as much, like, brilliance into everything we do, but without, like, the, the correct people to execute and actually make it human, then, like, there's, there's literally zero point, you know? Yeah. Um, and what I've always loved about all of our venues is you actually don't have to engage with, like, the specialist part of, like, them. You can just engage with the staff and you can have a killer time and you can have, you know, a great glass of wine or just like kick back and like ease into them. They don't have to feel always about their, you know, lioness is all about the ingredients and the drinks. And the whole mechanism of that was to go away from it having to just feel about cocktails. Mm-hmm. It was being like, I just drink gin and tonics and I'm like, well, this ingredient's sick. Just put that in your gin and tonic. That's all you really need to do and enjoy it. You know, yeah, like yeah. trying to ease, ease the kind of experience of what, you know, cocktail bars have become um, and just des- like really trying to design spaces for people to engage in like wholesome human connections. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, I think uh, I-, I definitely got that when when I came down to uh, Dandelion and Linus as well. It never f- it's never felt to like they were tra- like you were ever um, trying to kind of push it down your throat or like, do you know what I mean? It's like uh, it was yeah. it was a there on show. Like obviously the menus are obviously kind of laid out in a certain way to kind of sway your taste and kind of sway what you're into mm-hmm. but you if you just want to get like you say a, a glass of wine or a gin and tonic then it's probably going to be like one of the best gin and tonics you have but it, it do you mean there's never any force uh, involved in that um, yeah I, I guess the magic for me just comes in like it's not even about the liquid in the glass it's like everything that goes around it like you know the music's killer like like the lighting's correct and then the team just end up delivering you something that like makes you feel better about your day. Like, regardless, like, people come into, like, our bars miserable, wanting to sit and get drunk on their own because they're miserable. Mm-hmm. And, like, w- you just have to find a way to facilitate that that feels good. <laughs> like, they can still yeah, leave yeah. miserable. You're like, all right, man, I get you. You just want to, like, sit and pan whiskey. Like, you're good. I- I'll look after you. And yeah. that's, like, that's kind of the trick to the whole thing. Do you, um, when you're hiring stuff, like you said before, like, technical skills can be kind of... Uh like taught or so mm-hmm. obviously um where, when you are hiring stuff what what do you guys kind of uh look for in 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 stuff that you are taking on be it at any of your venues really i mean to, staff hiring is is it kind of comes in a two-parter so you know you sit and you have like a, a quick chat and it's never like anything formal it's it's more like the most important thing is pitching what we do to the person that's trying trying to apply for a job like yeah. i think it's so much more important that we're trying to sell ourselves to an individual than the other way around it's like that's like a dumb like archaic way of looking at it 
And if they feel like, you know, if they're visibly excited and they're connecting with that sort of thing, great. And then they come for a little trial shift, um, which more or less is just like, how are you interacting with the team? Like, it's gauging, like, how do you interact with guests? Of course, like, we're going to ask you to make a couple of drinks. And um, usually, like, these drinks will be, like, a couple of classics and maybe just, like, okay. Because a lot of the time, the verbiage that we encourage people to use is not literal. It's, like, just something, you know, bright and refreshing, like, yeah, it's yeah. never like I want something long and sour or anything like that. Um, and you just, you kind of can get a feel for like, how confident someone is in that because ultimately it's, as I say, the technical skills can be taught, but like that kind of confidence of engagement and that, like, I, I don't like always using the word passion because I think it's overused, but like that emotional want and confidence to like participate, like that's ultimately so key to the whole thing, you know? Mm. I like, we don't need someone that's going to be like a total psycho and is like, I need to work 120 hours and I'm going to be meticulous. Like, that's not our culture. It's just like, you want to like all swim in the same direction. That's the most important thing, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think, like you're saying, it's it's them, it's you buying into, it's you buying into them as much as them buying into you as well. Do you know what I mean? I I think if if they're, if, if, if they're not, well, of course, if they're not buying into what you're doing, then they, they probably shouldn't be kind of applying for a job there in the first place but <laughs> but, um, but yeah uh, totally the other way as well like if someone is kind of uh really is kind of can you can see them within that team then i think i think that's key um when it comes to um I, obviously i know you've had like you have the kind of permanent venues but i know with um with linus you you've obviously recently had the kind of pop-up in new york oh that um, was fucking ridiculous yeah on top of on top of everything else as well what was um what was kind of what was the purpose behind that and what what did you guys kind of get from that what we're really fortunate about is like uh having having people approach us about doing these kind of wild projects and if if it feels right then we'll do it so that that for us was it was kind of uh a test for silver lion to kind of engage in that culture because one of the things that we've always said is that we're never just going to pick up london which like we like collectively we agree is the most exciting food and drink city in the world mm-hmm. i do genuinely believe that but that doesn't mean that it applies to any other community so we had to gauge a lot with the american market so there was a huge benefit to getting you know the mr lion sort of name into america like engaging with american guests and like making sure that we could really tailor our drinks our service our styles and like le- i like learned so much like buyers work so differently in america yeah um so that was an exercise in growth for all of us and it was truly humbling because firstly the reaction was fairly positive but then like to actually connect with these wonderful people that were so passionate but like really insightful to like that kind of culture like that's you like you can't pay for that you know yeah um and i mean like let's not lie like hanging out in new york for a couple of months (laughs) is pretty cool as well yeah (laughs) Do, do you guys um, do you guys kind of see New York as somewhere you would potentially open a permanent venue, or do you just was it just kind of a like you uh, said getting your foot for in not not in the market but within the kind of culture of of America kind of yeah I think like I don't really want to give a binary answer to that because I would never say never but the, yeah uh, it, it, every time we we try and consider a venue like opportunity presents itself and if the opportunity is there then and it feels right like it felt right to do something in Amsterdam Mm -hmm. because we we felt that there was like a part of the industry that we could really add to you know like and it's not saying that it was missing it's just we're like okay cool we want to participate in this positive community that's got excitement it's like youthful and it's like it's coming up and like really establishing itself as one of the kind of the key drink cities yeah and the same thing with DC well, it's in New York, like, it's an ultra-saturated place. And, you know, you see, even in fact, DC's the worst. You see a lot of these brands just, like, pick the New York style up and just dump it in DC and expect it to work. Mm. And it's, like, it's actually very disrespectful to the community and the people that live there. Yep. Like, trying to really, like, get into a community and participate in it is, is something that we haven't always got right, but it's still, like, a pillar of what we want to do. Like we don't want to be the London bar that opened in DC. We want to be that's a DC bar, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah for um, sure. And that that takes a, it's a tremendous like humbling experience, but it's it's a bit of a knife edge a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, I bet there's kind of 
um like well obviously it's going to be a kind of learning curve for you guys opening opening that there but uh, yeah. it's, it's good to kind of hear that kind of perspective on it really um yeah. when it comes to um when it comes to kind of um menu develop well actually what i was going to say was you, you touched on kind of being a part of the community and being a part of kind of you are kind of a part of the community you don't want to be like that bar that is like above any, everybody else and kind of put, do you know what I mean, like looking down on everybody else. And I think for me, obviously I would see you guys as, well, I'd see like all of you, all of the brands and all of the kind of uh, venues as kind of leaders in what you do. But how do you kind of, how do you find the healthy balance between not being kind of pretentious about it and just be wanting to be part, part of the community? Because like you say, it would be very easy for you guys to kind of pick up what you do in London and drop it in, do you mean DC? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's every everything is like mind blowing, and also like it usually comes as a surprise. I mean, like every achievement that has been like awarded as such, like Ryan has always vehemently said, "This is not happening. Like, it's not going to happen." And when it happens, we're always shocked. Um, but like honestly, I think it's just we just stay focused. Like Ryan's the most humble guy I've ever met in my life. Like mm -hmm. he's so blissfully unaware of things that it actually ensues with hilarity. But <laughs> um, I think just focusing on like challenging things and not, not being stuck in your ways. Like we, we, <laughs> we closed white lion, yeah. we closed dandelion, we moved super lion, you know? Um, and that's all part of making sure that we feel that we're continually evolving. I mean, if anyone that's got a commercial sense of them would know that like closing dandelion didn't necessarily make sense if you were just looking at like the books yeah but it makes sense to not continually get to a point where you feel you've fully explored a concept and then you just end up repeating yourself with like minor adjustments and that's ultimately what we never want to do we want to we don't want to get stuck anywhere so i don't i don't think it has ever been our intention to be considered leaders in anything right mm -hmm. i think it's just been our intention to continually challenge things and see if we can take them in a different direction um and sometimes that's really successful and we discover something great and sometimes it's like what like we know that there's a reason that that is the way that it exists you know yeah. so like that's that's the exciting part about challenge but um yeah i i don't know it's it's so nice to be yeah to be titled some of the things we've been titled but like ultimately it's completely irrelevant to our vision yeah i think um when it comes like you were just saying touching on the reinventing term i guess uh, that kind of touches on something else i wanted to talk to, to you about which was kind of the menu development and how you guys approach that because i think from an outside perspective um obviously some of the stuff you do is kind of very obviously very forward thinking with the sustainability and kind of closing the loop and, and all the kind of ingredients you use and really pushing the boundaries of where drinks kind of can go and, and, and where you want them to go. How does that kind of look in terms of menu development? Obviously I know it'll look differently across the different venues, but um, how, how does that process start? And maybe just kind of talk us through that. I mean, we, I, I guess like the formulas have been all, all over the place, as you say, with different venues and whatnot. And I think ultimately we make it quite democratic. Um, it, it's always a team effort. It's not like Ryan or, or myself or anyone just writes menus. Like yeah. a lot of the time we're actually now positioned to be more just like in the feedback loop after, after some direction. Mm -hmm. So you usually have the leaders of, of the bars like challenging the team to come up with things. They hold weekly meetings um that usually contains either a training or like a menu development session and from there you flesh it out so you know a dandelion menu would take six months lioness menu is kind of a similar time but then we switched it around to be like three months and then you know we've played with it continually because there is no defined process to do a menu yeah um but i think the most important thing is full team involvement so you grow and that everyone feels invested uh and that we can continually challenge as a team because like no one has a good idea in a vacuum, you know, like, no, like the, I'm, I hate if I've offended anyone that does do all their, you know, creation for their bar. But ultimately, if you're just putting your vision across, it's never balanced, you know, mm -hmm. like if, if I had my way, then we'd all be playing Slayer and drinking Jack and Coke. But that's, <laughs> that's not going to make a very good hotel bar, do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, so we balance each other out. But I think ultimately just involving the team 
whether they are skilled or not in technique or prep or like ingredient, like it doesn't matter. Their their opinion is valid. So mm-hmm. I think ultimately, just like it's a team effort, and you you do need your your guidance, uh, and you need to train your team on on technique and make sure you're feeding back appropriately. But um, I think empowering the leaders to be able to have their own little cells is, is the key to having a larger company. Because it was just me and Ryan doing it, all the drinks would be crap because like all our like our minds are elsewhere, you know. Yeah. Um, so basically, many development is team empowerment. Yeah, for sure. Is um, I think for I think for some venues, they sometimes see um, maybe some of the kind of ingredients that you're working with, or kind of some of the um, processes that you're doing, are sometimes um, obviously kind of either time consuming or not gonna like add up in terms of monetary and kind of balancing. Do you think, mm-hmm. I, I, do you guys, obviously you do have to k- take stuff like that into consideration, but how does that kind of come into play? So that's interesting you say that because like when, you know, we were a small indie business, like our operations like never really added up to our <laughs> like output of prep and things like that. And that's yeah. something that we learned upon pretty heavily. But the, uh, like when you're, when you're running businesses specifically that are situated in hotels, like, Things like labor cost, cost of sale, like all, all the corporate bullshit that like no one wants to ever think about when you're doing the artful menus, like they have to be tight. So they have to be in line. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely an element um, that like all the ingredients do add up financially, you know, and we're in, we're in like established um, buildings that are, you know, you can charge a slightly like higher rate for cocktails, but they're never ever not valued. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah. you can pay twenty-eight quid for a drink that's like not particularly well made in London if you really wanted to. But then, you know, our our cocktail's coming in at thirteen quid. But we need to make sure that like the prep time adds up, and the ingredients that we use, like they don't tend to be exponentially. Like Lioness, an example. Like we're not we're not using like some banana from like four corners of the world. Like the whole ingredient, the infinite banana, which was using you know various forms of Maya reaction curing, took a long time, but we're mm. returning every day into exceptional and i think that's really important that you don't need to have fancy stuff the time allocated just requires infrastructure and organization yeah which we we've been prepping and very much like a kitchen uh you know for six seven years now um and we've managed to really hone down those systems like we have a prep team on a daily and a lot of people look at that labor cost and they're like well that's unnecessary you know but it is necessary if you wanted to like do an extra bit of product you just have to factor in everything correctly and smartly. Um, it's not it's not an easy balance, and I think you get this false perception of like, oh, well, they'll just get like you know loads of money, and like we, like that's not yeah. true. We have yeah, to run yeah. a, run a really tight operation. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think that's what I, I would like from personal kind of a, like perspective. I think that's where the pushback does come from people wanting to kind of really. Uh, push forward the kind of their drinks and maybe like you say especially the sustainability and the the kind of using uh, everything within your kind of uh, well everything to its purpose really Uh, Mm. and I think that is where the the pushback definitely comes from I think it is the time um, kind of allocated and 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 really and people who potentially um, are are running bars need to kind of I think we need to realize that 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 comes back within um it, it pays off after after a while. Uh, yeah, it's a difficult like you can't quantify like uh, the ROI on like extra prep and extra labor. It just has yeah. to be factored into the business as a whole thing, and you have to look at your cost of sale and then look at like how much time is spent. On it. And it and it's listen, it's a fucking nightmare. Like I, it's not the the fun part of my job to look at these sort of things, but it's uh, it is ultimately worth it if you if you're sticking true to your vision. But you like we shouldn't be like adding like these extra preps or things without like purpose you know um, yeah do, do you think people do you think people are potentially has got or oh, got to a stage um where people are trying to do this for credibility to say they're doing it rather than actually wanting to get behind it so i've seen various kind of menus that have come out or bars that have kind of said they're doing like said they're doing these things but just to say they're doing it rather than kind of actually really kind of standing behind what they're saying well, there's a lot of fluff out there, but like, I mean, I I empathize completely. Like when I was, you know, I I was bartending in Aberdeen in the northeast of Scotland before yeah. I like came down to London, 
And when I was there, like, all I wanted to do was emulate London. But, like, you know, we, like, we ended up building a rotovaf. And, like, you know, I got all this shit. And I didn't need any of it. I wasn't actually doing anything, like, forward thinking with any of the drinks. Yeah. I was just simply trying to emulate someone else that, in my head, falsely, like, they were doing something that needed, I needed to validate, like, our experience up there. And, you know, this is back when, like, people in Edinburgh were, like, laughing at us. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I understand, especially, like... When you feel that you don't have the attention that you deserve for the work that you're putting in, maybe like you can make poor creative decisions. Like, but ultimately, like we're always we we again like we never were there to try and set the standard. We were just there to try and challenge things that we wanted to challenge. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's where I'm seeing like absolute banger menus coming out when people are like looking at things that no one else has looked at. And yeah. that doesn't mean like tropical ingredients or like far off techniques. It can just be a different presentation of something very simple. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. That's 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 what excites me when I like see things just presented very simply, but in, from a different viewpoint. That feels authentic. But then, like taking a technique and just rolling it out for the sake of it, it's a trend right now. Like that sucks. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I know. Uh, I know. It meant well. Uh, like even where people have put like uh, say they they like a say a strawberry shrub in a menu mm. just to say they've got like a shrub on their menu mm-hmm. for example and i think stuff like that that sits you can but you can you can see that from a mile off i think when yeah. you it's a confidence and experience thing though like i don't i don't think any of this is wrong but like when you like are truly looking at something and going like is does this need more like would it really benefit from that like that's when like you get these like really delicious purposeful drinks um, yeah. and it, and experiences but as you say and listen, I used to be like that, you know, like I've been yeah. through that trend. It's not like any of us just were suddenly trying to challenge things in a really original way. Yeah. yeah. I, I still I still have my doubts that we would do it yet. But like, I, I remember some of the fucking garbage I used to make just for the sake of saying that it was some fancy thing. And ultimately, you're putting it in front of guests that you've not even considered. Is that what they want? Mm. Like, we're in the business of looking after people. I'm blessed that in our like the cities that we have venues we have people that are actively involved in food and drink so we can flex a little harder but like does that mean that i could pick up lioness and put it in aberdeen no it would yeah. be shot shot within a week right? <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's uh, got, got to be reflective of your landscape you know yeah for sure um so m- moving on to um maybe some of your well your your so, I wouldn't say side projects because they're definitely not. Uh, <laughs> they're not side. Pro- they've definitely well, like Porters has grown into probably a, a well has grown into quite a big project for you now as well. Yeah. Well, um, it's, yeah, yeah. Side pain in the ass, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> how does um how's um how did that kind of come about then? From did that just come about from? Obviously, I know you kind of. Uh, is it you and you and one other that kind of do porters or well well so when i was working in aberdeen the 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 bar owner was a guy called ben um and when i was ironically trying to do fancy ingredients that didn't mean anything to our guests (laughs) and getting that wrong uh i persuaded like via one of our investors who was in medical science to like build a rotobat yep and this thing was like a very dangerous piece of shit but the uh (laughs) um from there we started distilling and then we kind of involved Ben's like best pal from uni who's, you know, he travels all over the world and had like a great passion for food and drink as well. So his name's Josh. And the three of us just like ended up mad distilling all the time in the sort of the time I finished and I'm being moved to London. And we just ended up making this gin. And I think like we were just making it with like zero direction or, or kind of know-how. And then when we kind of realized we had an actual real brand, we had to kind of kick ourselves up the ass and then, and just yeah. like kind of figure out how we're going to grow it. I mean, it's the most saturated market in spirits. Um, probably wasn't the smartest decision, but what it meant is that we we were constantly like having to challenge and flex what what we are as a company. So that that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. So we we've built up from there, and we've been lucky enough to you know have the tropical Tom that came out, and that was actually like a challenge to the different, you know, like the ethos. Yeah. Of the modern classics, it's, listen, it's a banger of a gin, but like ultimately it's just another gin. So now we're trying to make sure that we're we're looking at things that that we could come at a different angle. So it's it's been a really interesting experience and a wild set of education. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, for sure. I, I've seen recently like the, the hippie fizz that you guys have just started kind of 
Uh, yeah, it and put yeah. it out as well. Um, is, yeah. that out, is that out of Porter's? Or... Well, so our, our brand ambassador, Jack Waring, who's like got to be the nicest human being I know, um, he created this absolute banger of a drink called a Hippie Fizz. Um, back when we were working together at Dandelion, we did this Dandelion Porter's pop-up. Mm -hmm. And like for ages, we were talking about like doing cans, anything, you know, where there might be some other stuff in the loop with the whiskey as well, but... I, I, our frustrations lie with the fact that like all canned cocktails are essentially like generic, you know, like either yeah, Ritzel yeah, and Classic, yeah. and they're all kind of crap. Like there's yeah. a there's a couple of bangers out there for sure, but like your mainstream stuff. So I was like, let's just like double down. Let's do one of our original drinks, like make it fun and lighthearted. So it does have porters in it, but it's not it's not necessarily the porters product. But okay. it's it's just a tropical cocktail by Jack. And we've canned it. It's got like patchouli in it, which is kind of weird, but it adds this kind of, I guess, like adult nature to it. I keep saying it's the Bacardi Breezer for 28 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, is that, was that kind of, uh, obviously you were saying, but is that, it seems like it's come out at a very kind of relevant time as well, especially with the canned cocktails and people drinking at home. Well, I never, I never want to capitalize on the environment, but yes, <laughs> it, is, it, is, uh, it is a fortunate time to have a ready-to-drink cocktail be able to be delivered. But I mean, there's like, there's the good thing is, well, I would, I won't, I don't want to frame this situation as positive, but you see like some incredible brands like coming out with stuff that is enjoyable at home. You know, like our pals from like Empirical Spirits are releasing like you know the bottle cocktails now, yeah. and they're like truly a weird and like interesting experience you can now just have in your house. And that's what I'm saying is like consumer behavior is going to completely change. Yeah. Like they no longer have to go to like the four corners of the earth to find something like really weird and like new in their home. Like they can just order it. Yeah. So it's definitely a good time to be like looking at these kind of things. There's some other kind of stuff we got lined up that I think is reflective of, of this environment. Um, and it's not about like seizing the opportunity, but rather being respectful to the landscape. Okay. Nice. Yeah. And, and, and if, um, and as if having uh, porters as a pain in your ass, you thought it'd be good to then also <laughs> la launch, a, launch a whiskey as well? Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, again, like it was, what we realized is, so the umbrella company of all of this is something called Langston Liquor Co. So that's kind of how we did porters, how we did glasshouse, the heavy fizz. And like, what I, it was kind of hitting me, because we, we got all this heat, right, for not being like a real distillery, because we didn't distill like, all parts of it or anything like that. Yeah. And it was usually from, <clears throat> you know, farmer Tom and like his craft distillery or whatever. And I'm like, well, you're not, you're not doing anything fucking relevant, are you? So like <laughs> the pushback there is like, we're, we wanted to be more of like a drinks design company, you know? Okay. Um, so when <clears throat> the whiskey made so much sense for me because like, we all love drinking whiskey highballs. And I think like there's like an element of, um, everyone has gone to long and fresh and easy. Uh, and whiskey is definitely coming around into that, but like no one had actually just banged out a liquid that like reflected that drink. You know, we'd always respected whiskey as the spirit. So it was like designing it backwards to so trying to find like the liquid that would be suitable for this like finished drink yeah. of whis whiskey, ice and soda. So it was just like one of those exciting products that we like ideated well. We found like awesome collaborators in a Highland distillery that were like not that traditional and, they got really excited about it and like everything just fell into place really naturally. So it wasn't like as painful as like ideating like a whole gin brand out of nowhere. Yeah. It just like, it was one of those things that we, we just had a good gut feeling about it. And it's something that, you know, I find really exciting because that is quite new for a category for that category. Well, gin's obviously like a sea of saturation, mm -hmm. um, which I don't love. But... Yeah. I think uh, it's interesting you say that, especially with the kind of longer drinks and, um, like especially with the whiskey highballs, because I know, um, I know, especially with world class last year and like Diageo, they were leaning very heavily on one of their kind of areas was the um, kind of highball, and I think they were using Johnny Walker last year to try and kind of. Totally. Um, I mean, Johnny Walker Red's still one of my favorite like highball whiskeys, like, yeah. um, and like it's it's just like an easier drink, you know what I mean? Like people were talking for years, especially and Glasshouse the like our whiskey is not about getting people into whiskey it's about getting people into whiskey highballs but like for years everyone's been throwing around like trying to get people into whiskey whether it be lighter styles or over ice or whatever and i'm like man do you know what everyone likes like tall refreshing drinks like yeah 
just just own it you know yeah um uh yeah because we want you want that feeling that you can like go into your mate's house with something so whether it's a bottle of gin and some tonic whether it's like whiskey and soda and you just like you can be casual about it yeah, it shouldn't yeah. be difficult to consume these things um and i think that sense of ease is like being really fun to play with across everything at the moment you know tropical yeah. gin like hippie cheers like high balls of whiskey like there's there's definitely yeah. recurring culture <laughs> yeah I, I think it's about um like opening the conversation for people as well and i think like 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 you saying that the consumer kind of trends may change and if if it's easier for people to kind of get into do you mean enjoying these kind of uh experiences from home then kind of all all yeah. for that really yeah. um i'm oh, sorry i was just reading one of the one of the comments there Get her, be her Patchouli Bacardi breather for a 28-year-old in my face. Yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, you I, get it. Beth, Beth, is, uh, Beth is my uh, old bar manager, actually. And she kind of, she actually oh, said... Hey. Yeah, she, so we kind of, um, we, it was 2018. 2018, um, we came to um, the Jim Beam event uh, that you spoke at in Liverpool. Oh God! Yeah, that was a while ago. Yeah, and I, I remember you. Um, I remember you saying at the time you were kind of um, talking about being like knee deep in like a tank or knee deep in like a ferment or something like that. And it was a, it was you realizing when you're in that situation, like shit. Do I actually? Is this something I actually want to be doing? And it, and I think that you've got to ask yourself that when when it comes to kind uh, of an industry like this as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm, do you know what? Actually, on that note, I think this has given everyone a lot of downtime to understand <clears throat> maybe how much they love their lifestyle and or don't, you know. So I think it'll be curious to see how many people return to our industry post this whole situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very relevant, especially at the moment. With like you yeah. kind of, You've got to pull yourself up out of the kind of shit of everyday, like, well, the kind of doom and gloom that is very yeah, yeah. Put, put on us at the moment and kind of pull your socks up and kind of crack on really do you know what I mean I mean, I mean like everyone has to have like a moment of reflection for like how they're going to do things in the future right but I mean like especially this industry like you definitely get to a threshold at every stage of it mm. <clears throat> you know like I find it a miracle when you have someone that's been behind a bar for 50 years or whatever um and I think they're like true heroes and I love their like old stories and stuff but you know even when towards the end of Dandelion like when I was like needing to move on like regardless if I progress in this group role like I had to go. Like there was no way I could continue to do that every night, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I wonder if there'll be a few people that are in the. You know, I've actually spoken to a couple of people that are like, you know what? Like I don't actually want to go back and live that lifestyle anymore. I'm quite enjoying this style. So maybe yeah, like yeah. they'll move into things. So it'll be interesting to see how knee deep everyone is at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know that's kind of. But I, I just kind of. <laughs> I remember that. I remember you. I can't remember. Like, forgive me for forgetting the exact kind of. Um, what it was, but I remember I, you kind of, uh, yeah, I remember you saying about like it was a realization when you were doing that that it was like, shit, I have to actually be in, I actually have to love what I'm doing to be doing this right now. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I wish I could remember the talk as well, man. But yeah. like, as I said, the wine rack's taken a beating, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Beth actually sent a question across as well um, beforehand, uh, so I kind of just want to put that put that to you and see what your your answer to is. Sure. Um, so she she said, um, "What is your favorite flavor pairing?" Um, so that be that cocktail, food, or other. Oh, fuck. Okay, we like. Everyone... I probably should. Have, I probably should have sent you this before. No, so I, don't know. <laughs> I love on the spot. Um, weirdly, I've got this like affinity for patchouli, which is ironic. And we just released the can, but like everyone laughs at me about it because it's like such a weird flavor. Um, Honestly, like if you ask any of the teams at, at Lioness, I seem to just, I just, every time I say something needs fixed, I just say add 2.5 mils of, of Talisker. So like, <laughs> okay. even though that's kind of geeky, like I just think anything malty and smoky with anything works in the right amount. So like smoke and insert any flavor in the world here. Like that's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. All right, so more like a kind of smoky element, would you say? Is that what you're kind of leaning on now? Well, well like, I, I just think, like, in the right increments, you know what I mean? If you put, like, half a bottle of Laphroaig in anything, it'll taste like shit. But, like, <laughs> if, you, if you add, like, two drops or something, like, you just, it just becomes, like, the biggest, like, fullest flavor. Almost to the point that if you taste smoke, it's gone too far. 
yeah. I mean, like, I I don't know. I I use a lot of MSG and stuff. Um, and I always think if you can taste that it's gone too savory, then you've like you fucked it up. It's like that same kind of like. But yeah, that didn't really answer your question. Green tea <laughs> and peach. There you go. That's my favorite. Green okay. tea and peach. <laughs> Green tea and peach. Perfect. Yeah, she sent it across before. Like you said, we kind of. Um, she used to be my bar manager when I was at Lost and Found, and yeah, we came oh, to that. Hey. We came to that. We came to that chat. So, um, so what is kind of it, take take kind of uh, lockdown and COVID out of the situation? What is the kind of uh, plans or futures or kind of uh, what is kind of upcoming for Lioness? So, well, all of the venues really. If you guys, what obviously this has kind of thrown a spanner in the work, but yeah um, with all those venues being fairly new like within the kind of year as such of reopening or opening i guess they're all almost <laughs> new new venues really yeah yeah i mean everything still feels really fresh i think lioness which was unfortunate was just like finally coming into its own you know like there had to there was such a bad hangover from dandelion uh which was always going to be the case like people are never going to evolve with us at the same rate so I think Lioness will continue to, to push in its kind of its direction. Um, they just finished an absolute banger of a menu, which was due to come out around now. But I think, I think that will get put on hold, like, and as we softly get everyone back to like some form of new. Mm-hmm. Um, Super Lion's gonna, you know, it's gonna retain that sense of optimism, which I think is the most important thing. Again, like it will be a, a period of softening, like the offering, to, to make sure that everyone's like feeling comfortable. I think a huge focus for Superline will just make sure that we're participating in that community like further. Like that's always been our aim. We try and do as much education, not from us, but like bringing like our like kind of resources in for the, like I think that'll be the big continuum. Silver was open a whole of about like a month. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll reopen and double down on that one because I think, <laughs> I think it like silver is really cool. Like, I, like it's such a great venue and it feels right for the time of the city but it's in an old bank is that correct oh it's mental mate yeah it's in the actual vault of an old federal bank um which is which is great because it has like a sense of opulence for them you look at like the menu there's like moving holograms all over it and like the staff are dressed in these like really fun like almost like 50s diner outfits it just feels like it's very lion (laughs) nice um and then i think cub like this this is such an important time Listen, Cub in terms of like innovation is probably still like our one of our leading brands, if not the leading brand. So now will be a time to reassess like what food systems actually look like in the future. What does that mean in terms of like produce and how we can process it? And also like dining experience, like how how are we gonna like keep up with the times there? So uh it's gonna be great. Oh, I just seen someone put love silver line. That makes me really happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah, well, no, I, I appreciate you kind of uh, taking your time out of your day to have this chat, Alex. And like I say, I, kind of, I hope uh, I hope kind of service kind of resumes for you guys as successful as it kind of was beforehand, really. Yeah, um, me, too. me too. Well, no, dude, thank you so much. Like those, the questions were great. And I think it's, it's good that everyone is talking about this stuff at the moment. It's, it's a horribly tough conversation, but I think there is a lot of like silver lining and positivity to like go off, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah alright well thanks a lot Alex uh, I hope you take care mate and uh, all right. I'll be sure to pop down to one of the venues soon sick man stay in touch peace bye bye thanks for everyone listening the podcast uh, will be up online for if anyone who missed it uh, it will be up online on SideCloud iTunes and Spotify thanks a lot goodbye